Yip Talk, the Your Investment Property Podcast. Investors may be asking themselves if the sky is falling and where this market is heading. In this timely episode, our host Sarah Meganson is joined by Simon Presley, Director of Propertyology. The two discuss the latest intel and updates on the Australian market and why Simon thinks clear skies may be ahead. To the latest episode of Yip Talk, your investment properties podcast. Uh, this month we've got Simon Presley from Propertyology. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, Simon, obviously being a very experienced buyer's agent and researcher, you've got a lot of intel on Australian property markets and I thought what a perfect time to talk to someone like you when, you know, we're six months into this pandemic now. And a lot of the things that were predicted haven't yet come true. Uh, there are still quite a lot of, um, how do you call it? What would you call that word? Um, I call it clickbait, but <laughs> there's a lot of these very scary uh, premonitions and forecasts out there. Um, you know, it, it, this is unprecedented circumstances, a word that I'm just as over as everyone else, but they really are unusual circumstances. So it's ma- it's kind of bringing out the worst in everyone. It's making them... Uh, you know, predict these that the sky is falling in every possible way, um, which is why I really wanted to chat with you because you're very grounded in the research and the numbers. Uh, and you know, we can take a bit of a bigger picture look at this and look at what these predictions are. You know, if they're actually based in fact or what's happening with the Australian property market and and that uh, that kind of real truth that there is no Australian property market. There's lots of different markets all over. So. I'm really interested to see what your research is showing and what you're kind of looking at at the moment. Um, so let's kick off with, uh, I guess, a bit of an overview of where we are now. I think last time we spoke, it was just at the beginning of the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, we certainly heard of the coronavirus, but um, there'd never been any suggestion of a lockdown or anything anything like that at all, no. Yeah, it was very early in. Um, so, it, you know, it's six months in now. We're in September and it's been a very, uh, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> um, so, what would you say are some of the things that you're seeing now, um, six months in? What are some of the things that you're seeing that you were expecting, or even that you weren't expecting at this stage? Yeah, look, a heck of a lot of um, doomsday forecasts. Uh, that's not just now. I think that's when when the coronavirus first started. That's where the so-called experts, uh, they all, most of which are um, highly risk-averse personalities um, by nature. They, they were the ones responsible for the property market declines of t- between 20% and 50%, depending upon which idiot you listen to. Um, that certainly hasn't unfolded. I'm not saying that um, there isn't any um, possibility of some downturns, but certainly not widespread. Um, with six months to process all of this, Sarah, uh, that's quite a bit of time. And whilst there's a lot of things that have happened that I didn't didn't anticipate, you know, back in February, March, one thing I still remain rock solid on, and that is large parts of Australia um, are right now producing price growth and um, on the balance of probability will continue to do so. The trouble is, is when we talk about property markets, it's all really what everyone's talking about is their own views of Sydney and Melbourne. Last time I checked, they're two cities. Uh, not one country. We're in a country that's got uh, eight capital cities and nearly 200 individual towns and cities that are not capital cities. Now, each one of those 200 locations have their own micro economy. They've got completely different um, 
economic conditions to the next town and city that have got completely different uh, costs of housing, different volumes of housing supply, different levels of confidence, um, different types of projects going on. This is why every single part of Australia always does different things in any year, whether it's a COVID year or otherwise. Yes, and there's a couple of things you said there that I want to dive back into. Um, it, it's interesting. I've been a property and finance journalist for 15 years, so I started just before the GFC, and it seems to be that magic figure of 40% that always gets bandied around. Property prices are always set to fall 40%. Um, and, and, you know, there are some who are, I think that um, around the GFC it was Stephen King who was always out there saying, we're going to have a collapse, a giant collapse of 40%, which obviously never eventuated. Um, and it started to kind of take get a bit of traction again, that 40% figure. Uh, just recently it was all over the news that because the Reserve Bank had um, done an economic modelling report and this is where it starts to get really frustrating in the media because it was not a prediction or a forecast. It was a report that they prepared, being the Reserve Bank, they did an economic modelling report to stress test Australian finances. So they were looking at what would happen if, in a doomsday worst-case scenario, what would happen if property prices fell 40%. Even in the report they said this is unlikely, yeah. but it is something that is plausible, so we have to prepare for what would happen if. A lot of media picked up on that, started blasting the headline around that property prices, RBA predicts property prices to fall 40%. Um, those types of headlines can be so reckless and misleading. And just at the moment, I think, um, as a journalist, it's your responsibility to not add to this fear and this uncertainty. It's your responsibility. That's my job as a journalist is to look at the information, analyse it, review it, and put together the most objective view possible, not the, the scariest view possible. Um, so, you know, you mentioned there, that Australia does tell well, when we talk about these stories, we do tend to think about just Sydney and Melbourne and, you know, those predictions are always about what's going to happen to Sydney and Melbourne. What are some of the things you're seeing in other areas of Australia? Because I think that's uh, going to be very interesting to investors. When you, My ears pricked up when you talked about there are some markets showing growth. Where are we seeing that and what do you think the drivers of growth are in those markets? This is going to surprise um, – my answer is going to surprise your listeners, Sarah. Most of, <laughs> most of Australia is actually uh, experiencing property price growth right now. Here we are at early September. Most of Australia's property markets are growing, albeit most of that growth is mild, but it is growth. It is yep. not declines, and it is certainly not 10, 20, 30, 40% decline. Most of Australia is producing property price growth. The, the problem is with, with forecasting, or whenever, whenever there's anything major or dramatic going on in Australia, um, 90, roughly 90% of Australia's journalist workforce live in Sydney and Melbourne. And so to them, their little bubble, known as Sydney and Melbourne, is their world and their reality. And all the go-to sources, when someone wants a comment on, you know, how's this, how's this major event likely to affect their property markets, they always go to what I call the real estate general practitioner, otherwise known as the economists. Why it is that society put these, don't get me wrong, they're intelligent people, but they are not property market experts. So they go to them for commentary. These people are risk-averse by, by design, so they always think glass half empty when they could think glass half full. Their day is not spent studying 
property markets. They will talk to someone about commodity prices in the morning. At morning tea time, they'll be talking about monetary policy. In the afternoon, they'll be talking about the stock exchange. You know, Then they'll be talking about something that's happened over in China. Then they'll be talking about what Trump's happening. They are generalists. They are not property market experts. So why is it that we continue to go to the general practitioner rather than the specialists for something as complicated as property markets. This this will always be the problem for property commentary, not just during a uh, a COVID situation. But um, yeah, large parts of Australia property prices are growing, and that shouldn't surprise anybody if they actually understand what fundamentals mean, what that simple word means. Large parts of Australia, when we started 2020, Sarah, were significantly undersupplied with housing, and supply we look at it from a rental supply perspective from a um, what's called resale supply, for a number of properties listed for sale in a particular market at a particular time, and new supply, the construction activity, the new products hitting the market. All those metrics throughout most of Australia were very, very low. And property shelter, it's an essential commodity. It's the stuff that we've been cooped up in during lockdown. Um, so th- this needs to be factored in with forecasts. We still have a demand for shelter and we always will. Um, and even though some people, certainly nowhere near all, some people have had their income adversely affected by COVID, uh, they've also on the flip side of that had five interest rate cuts in the last 12 months. So their expense side of things has come down significantly whilst their income for some people has been adversely affected. The biggest segment, unfortunately for these people, but the biggest segment of our population whose income has been affected, predominantly rent. If you think about what industries they are, it's it's things like international students. Um, it's our hospitality sector. It's a lot of people who work in uh, um, in the tourism sector. And, and unfortunately for them, their income or their occupation types that earn lower incomes. So they're often renters rather than homeowners. Um, on the flip side of things, you've got... You've got about 15% of Australia's popula- uh, working population that are employed by local, state or federal government. Their jobs are rock solid. That's not going anywhere. Um, our education sector, their jobs are rock solid. Our health sector, their jobs are rock solid. Manufacturing sector, parts of that, their jobs are actually growing. Agriculture sector, that's definitely growing. We all need food. Um, tourism, international tourism businesses are struggling. Domestic tourism, probably facing a boom, I'd suggest. We're all sick of being cooped up and want to have a holiday. So we need to look at this thing in a balanced way, and that's certainly not what has happened. Absolutely. I, I think that's the um, the ongoing problem we've got at the moment is all of these different voices and opinions. It's really hard to know who to listen to um, or where the kind of – it's impossible to know where we're going to head from here. Um, but, it, you know, it's very interesting to hear you say that we're having this slow, you know, gro- to have any growth at all at the moment is very surprising. Um, at the same time, it's what I'm seeing anecdotally when I'm talking to investors and just with my friends and family. Um, I'm based on the Gold Coast in Queensland. I know you're up in Brisbane in Queensland as well. And here the stories we're hearing are very, very different to, you know, stories of doom and gloom. There's you know, a lot of uh, affordable family homes in particular on the Gold Coast are selling really well, really fast, multiple offers selling for above their listing price. So, you know, we're seeing <laughs> a very different story, I think, than we would have, than I definitely, than I would have expected six months ago. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about there is you did mention that property, you know, is an essential, 
it's something essential that people are always going to need. Accommodation is always going to be in demand. So we're always going to have that supply and demand balance going. Um, when this pandemic first started and a lot of things were introduced for uh, landlords, a lot of measures were introduced to, you know, make it illegal to evict a tenant during the pandemic. Here we are coming up on the end of September when a lot of these measures are due to expire. Um, we haven't heard a lot from, you know, the industry about what the plans are there. We've heard that JobKeeper is going to continue, but we don't really know a lot about whether these measures are definitely going to expire or what's going to happen at the end of September. But do you think generally with all of that change, um, and there was quite a lot of legislative change that happened really quickly that changed, um, it, it kind of put uh, landlords in a very different position to where they were at the beginning. Do you think that's going to put people off from investing or what kind of impact do you think that's going to have? If they listen to the uh, media headlines, yes, it will It will put them off um, because when someone uh, needs to invest uh, or doesn't, no one needs to invest, when someone chooses to invest, they need to have confidence. Um, the investing, whilst it should be compulsory, because if you don't invest in um, in yourself, your future will not be anywhere near as good as what you want. It is nonetheless a discretionary action, and for someone to invest, confidence is something that they um, require to have confidence in it. So if they're consuming the mainstream stuff and they don't have a enough general understanding about property markets, so they all they can believe is what they read, they'll be they'll be scared away from in, investing. And and sadly for them, they they will miss out on on some very exciting opportunities out there. Large parts of Australia, and um, it was only about a month ago, for memory, Sarah, Propertyology produced a report because we knew people didn't believe us, and we showed what the vacancy rate was in every location in Australia. And only four towns and cities right throughout this country have a vacancy rate which constitutes an oversupply. Um, so 75% of Australian locations are actually in rental crisis at the moment. That's the opportunities for investors. You are investing in shelter and with or, with or without the coronavirus, people will always need to live somewhere. Um, even if you, if you can manage to park um, in the corner of your mind somewhere what's actually happening in, in, in Melbourne and Geelong um, and to a lesser extent Sydney, um, large parts of Australia have vacancy rates well below 2% and in many cases below 1%. That, that is incredibly yeah. tight. If we were not, if our media headlines were not rightly dominated by what's happening on a daily basis with, with the coronavirus, we would actually be having a serious, robust discussion about another crisis, an accommodation crisis. That accommodation crisis is actually here, um, but it's not being reported about because the attention's focused elsewhere and, and because we don't have an accommodation crisis in Sydney and Melbourne. But Believe yeah. me, like we are, we are buying properties throughout the country and we are missing out on properties because buyer activity is greater than the number of properties available for sale. So that, that's proof of prices are rising. We are missing out on properties. We're seeing right before our very eyes prices rise. Similarly, because 100% of our clients are investors, so they all need to have a tenant. Now, if when we buy the property, if there's not already a tenant in there um, and we're, we're actively helping get a tenant, it is very, very common that our property manager in that location sort of says, oh, you know, we, we ran our first open home on the Saturday and we had 50 groups through and we've got 10 applications and, you know, three quarters of those are really good quality ones. Um, so no problems getting tenants because these people need to live somewhere. So that's actually pushing rents up. Um, the widespread reports when COVID started that all these tenants were going to be in rental arrears um, 
hasn't happened. I'm sure there are pockets um, predominantly in Melbourne with this lockdown stuff where that um, has occurred. I don't know that for fact, but I wouldn't be surprised if that has occurred. Right throughout Australia, I can I can assure you that is not the case because on a daily basis we are talking to property managers. They're the ones who are directly connected with the with the tenants and the landlords. Um, and there is not this widespread rental arrears at all. Outside of our capital cities, the main industry drivers for their local economies aren't the ones that have been hit hard by the coronavirus. You know, we, we, there are parts of Australia that there are more jobs today than what there was before the virus hit Australia in early March. I'll say that again. There are more jobs in parts of Australia today than what there was six months ago. Now, that seems like a compelling headline for the for the news website. So I wish that was what they were leading with rather than property prices to fall 40%. <laughs> but it just highlights my point, doesn't it, that when I, we started this discussion, I said there are eight capital cities and there are nearly 200 individual towns and cities that aren't capital cities and they've all got their own little little ecosystem. So whether we're talking about overseas migration, whether we're talking about building approval volumes, whether we're talking about job creation, whether we're talking about change in median house prices, these are all, all these metrics are completely different from one location to the next. But yet the the figure that will always dominate the media headlines is the Sydney figure or the Melbourne figure. And when those markets are strong, it's widely reported as it was two and a half years ago that all of Australia is in a property boom and it never was. When those yeah. two cities are faced with some negative conditions, it's widely resport, reported that Australian property markets are tanking, and and that's not the case. And, and and so what you were saying there too, which is really interesting, if we're having this tightening in these markets, if they're already um, showing that we've got more demand than supply, if we have that, and then we also have, uh, you know. A, investors potential potential investors and current investors um being discouraged from buying and becoming landlords then we're just going to see that problem continue to worsen aren't we spot on because what is rental supply it is controlled by one demographic mum and dad property investors if they are active they they put extra supply in a market. This is why, as far back as August 2019, six months before the coronavirus hit Australia, Sydney hit its all-time record high vacancy rate. Nothing to do with coronavirus. What mm. caused that? Why did Sydney, way back in August, 12 months ago, have its highest vacancy rate ever on record? Because during its property boom, which ended in August 2017, Sydney's boom was driven by a much bigger volume of property investors transacting in the city of Sydney. So they're adding during that they were adding competition for forcing price prices up. But because so many of the buyer demographic were investors and not owner occupiers, they were also adding a heck of a lot of rental yeah. supply. When that happens for a sustained period of time, in Sydney's case it was near on four years, you end up with a truckload more rental properties than what a local market needs. So you're 100% right, Sarah. Large parts of Australia where vacancy rates are at the moment are already at crisis point and rents are rising. Um, If there aren't enough investors who realise, gee, hey, there's a great opportunity for me to invest in my future. Um, Most of these places, by the way, a 10% deposit really only equates to about $35,000 or $40,000. A lot of people actually can access that through equity in their family home uh, or some savings. So taking advantage of that, 
um, means they're getting in, you know, into a market at, at the bottom with an exciting outlook. If few if few investors can see that opportunity, then extra pressure will continue to be applied on rents. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's you know for investors who are currently in the market, the other thing to consider too, and this is something that I am always pushing in our content on your investment property, just to remind people that even if these worst case scenarios, you know, forty percent, I would never ever imagine that there could be the the that the moons could align for a 40% wholesale drop in Australian property prices but even if the bottom did fall out of our property market it only becomes a problem for you if you are forced to sell um, because property is cyclical it will always kind of move in different directions and if you can ride out the wave and get to the other side of it uh, without being forced to sell, then you're you, th- then this is all kind of hypothetical. It's theoretical, and you're not actually physically losing the money. You know, you could own a property right now that that was worth eight hundred thousand dollars at the beginning of the year, and now you might be worried. Oh, property prices are apparently falling. It might only be worth seven hundred thousand. Well, if you don't need to sell it, then you know, it, don't focus on that part of the equation. It's better to look at the facts and figures and. Work out what your next steps are. If you want to use the equity in it to buy something else, then it could be a problem if it's gone down in value. But you need to really get in front of the facts of it rather than being swayed by these very general um, media stories that often don't have enough analysis or detail to um, to give you the full picture. So what would you say for investors who are a little bit um, stressed or concerned or anxious or just really not sure what they should be doing what is kind of your advice to them at the moment to you know, and because as you said this is going to be an opportunity that a lot of people will look back on and go gee I wish I'd done something a bit different back then um, so what would your advice to investors be now uh, I guess first um, you know have a think about you know, four main things that uh, create the biggest risk from this coronavirus on an individual market I'll summarize those in a moment um, and then the decision if you own a property, in one of these more vulnerable locations, then I would firstly consider the impact that that property is having on your household budget. If it's having a significant impact, um, you know, let's say more than more than say five thousand dollars a year coming out of your own money, um, then the the, the the choice to sell becomes greater than if it was a, a much smaller or some people have owned this property for years and years and years and they're cash flow neutral or cash flow positive. So that's a different scenario, even if you own an asset in a more vulnerable market than someone else who owns a similar property in, in the same market, but it's costing him 10 grand a year to hold. Um, mm. that's, that's, that's when I personally would be seriously considering selling. So what creates, what causes extra vulnerability within a market specific to the coronavirus? If the local economy depends significantly on international tourists, if it depends significantly on international students, if it's a heavily densely populated community, the virus spreads most in germs. Hence, Melbourne's lockdown at the moment, but there's nowhere else in Australia where there's this you know, significant outbreak of the coronavirus because they're not as densely populated. There's a lower risk of that occurring. Um, where the median house price is so much higher, it logic would suggest the median mortgage price is so much higher as well. And cash flow, where it's affected individual Australians, is their income. I said earlier there's lots and lots of people in the workforce that haven't been affected at all. Some have actually become beneficiaries. But those occupation types that have been affected the most, how they've been affected, 
is their capacity to earn money has been affected. So if it's going to hurt them, it's going to it's going to hurt their ability to repay their mortgage. So you think about those, and it becomes pretty obvious. It should become pretty obvious to people. The most vulnerable markets in Australia are our two biggest cities. They've got all four of those things at the moment. All four. Yeah. And until such time as not only do we have a vaccine, but it's been around for a long period of time for lots and lots and lots of people in the population to take it, those two markets will always be vulnerable. But think of here's the opportunity for property investors. The coronavirus does not diminish our nation's demand for housing. We started the coronavirus with 25.5 million people and we still have 25.5 million people. The total as a nation demand for housing is just the same. What the coronavirus will do is, a, is create a transference of demand. Some people will choose to relocate from living in a, say, a, a, an apartment in, in, a, in, in, a, in an inner city um, location because they worked in the hospitality sector and it was a shorter commute to go to work each day. Some of those people might, might go, well, no, I'm now moving further out into a detached house in the suburbs. Someone else may go, bugger this, I, I don't like the chances of this lockdown situation not happening again in this particular densely populated city and they will completely leave. They might go to um, a less populated city in the same state. So someone in Melbourne might move to a Bendigo, for example. Or they might go, I'm going to completely leave the state totally. Um, and whether they go to a capital city or region will vary from one individual to another. But that's what we're calling a transference of demand. The working from home situation is a real thing. And some people, and I've done this personally, some people will make it a permanent thing. It might have started out to be a temporary measure that they had to do. Um, some small businesses and even some big businesses that don't have a big enough office space to socially distance their workforce, some businesses will make this a permanent thing. For individuals who have done that, home can then be anywhere. It doesn't need to be the home that they were living in when the coronavirus hit here. Um, you and I are communicating using the Internet of Things, um, as are lots and lots of businesses. And there'll be more and more people that will say, I can work from home, I will work from home. And in doing that, I can be based, that home can be based in a location that is less vulnerable to future lockdowns. Um, and also, my mortgage could be a lot lower than what it currently is. If I, if I move house to something of comparable quality, but doesn't cost anywhere near as much, the strain on my um, household budget is, lot, is a lot less than what it was, but my lifestyle is actually better. Mm. Yeah, it's a weird, it's it's such a weird time, isn't it? Because, you know, for some of us, well, for anyone really that has a mortgage, um, financially, it just in the respect of your mortgage, you're doing better than you were this time last year or, you know, even this time in January. In, in January, my mortgage was 3.9% or something and now it's 2.6 or whatever it is. It's a huge difference. Um, so all of us, um, anyone who holds a mortgage has that benefit, but it's just kind of juxtaposed by this very strange economy at the moment where uh, jobs don't feel as secure. But, you know, it's like you say, we kind of uh, throw this big broad brush across all of it and say the whole economy doesn't feel secure, but that's not really true. It's segments of the economy that are insecure. Absolutely. And again, well, I'll, keep, I'll keep stressing the point. Property is shelter and these real estate general practitioners, otherwise known as economists, they're assuming that when we hear, let's, let's go back to some of the headlines. 
um, Australia's unemployment rate is going to surpass 10%, right? So for these people, that constitutes research, and then all of a sudden, oh, well, property prices can't grow if um, unemployment rate's going to get above 10%. Hey, guess what? That still means that 90% of the workforce have a job, you idiots. And for, yeah. those, and for those who have been adversely affected, uh, their income's been adversely affected, what do you expect them to do if they already own a property? Volunteer themselves to become homeless? Yeah. Of course, of course <laughs> not. Property is not a stock market. That's the problem that these real estate general practitioners have. They think it it responds wildly within a few hours or a few days. It doesn't because the owners of these properties are real human beings. It's not an index. And it's a big decision for anyone to sell a property asset, especially if, if they bloody live in it. Before they put it in the market, they've got to first figure out, where am I going to live? And when they when they step through that, a lot of them go, well, actually, I'm not going to sell at all. You know, I'm going to do what you suggested earlier, Sarah. I'm going to write it out because, of course, I need to live somewhere. Or some will sell. Um, but that doesn't diminish demand. It just transfers demand from where they're currently living until where, to, to where they're going to live. Yeah, absolutely. I hope this is making sense uh, to, to everyone. Well, it's certainly making sense to me, <laughs> but let's hope that it, you know, my goal with these podcasts is just to try and help investors really, I feel like there is so much general reporting and general advice out there. And I think at Your Investment Property, we have this opportunity to give um, investors access to people who have a depth of knowledge that can kind of provide this context. Uh, because, you know, when you just see the headline on a morning TV show or you've read something on news.com or you pick up the newspaper and it just has this very basic overview or summary and it's usually a general reporter that doesn't have a depth of expertise in property and finance so I think that's the big um, key that has been missing from a lot of the reporting over the last six months has been the context that kind of shows that yes this is you know in some areas it's very very difficult very uncertain but in other areas you know there's quite a lot of context that shows this is what's happening, this is what could happen, and this is what you need to do to kind of make the most of this situation. So I really appreciate all the insights you've been able to provide today. Um, Simon is one of our regular kind of expert panellists. You've got a lot of great articles up on our website. So if anyone wants any more of Simon's uh, in, in advice or insights or anything, feel free to search them on our website and you'll be able to see a whole bunch more uh, of this very level-headed and grounded um, approach going on at the moment. So really appreciate your time, Simon. Thanks well, again for Sarah, joining One of those reports you refer to is that National Vacancy Rate Report. Anyone listening to this, if you have some interest in property markets nationally, um, I'd encourage you to read that one and you'll see exactly what I mean by uh, this enormous undersupply of housing. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Simon. Thanks, Sarah. For more from Sarah Meganson, our editor, and the expert guests that join her, be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for the latest episodes and insights you need as a property investor.